Um, I've got the privilege of reading the word for us today. Uh, we're in Matthew. Um, so if you want to turn with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 with me, or it'll also be up on the screen. Um, just follow along. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that, it is, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I'll pray for us quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of time together to hear your word, uh, to hear it preached, and just pray you would soften our hearts, give us ears to hear, uh, pray for Grant as he uh, speaks to this passage, and um, we'll just pray your spirit would be present both uh, in this sermon, uh, as we know it is in your word, um, and in our hearts as we seek to, to hear it. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Oh, that's loud. How's everyone? Welcome to the Sunday School Kids as well this morning. It's good to be with you. I'm not sure if this is going to work. Um, my name's Grant. If I haven't met you, I'm part of the family here. Um, this might be too distracting. Um, I work for the university ministry uh, of the church and I work part-time with the church this year. Sorry, this is a bit ridiculous. Hey, Pete, I think you've got something just like might be a sesame seed. Or like a bit of toast crumb. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I just think, I don't think I'm going to be able to preach while that's sticking out. Um, it's just a bit distracting. I'm sure you're all thankful that we've dealt with that now. Um, sorry, this morning we're starting a new series uh, on the difficult sayings of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to put that down. We're starting... Ooh, charge me for that later, Academy. Um, we're starting a new series on the difficult sayings of Jesus. Some of them are difficult to understand. Some of them are difficult to hear. Uh, today is a little bit in each column. And so we're going to talk about these verses. And it starts with these words, judge not. It's what Jesus says. And maybe this is one verse or one part of a verse that maybe our non-Christian friends know. And they're glad to quote, doesn't the Bible say, don't judge? Don't get all judgy. Who are you to judge? And it's a verse I think our culture can get on board with. Because everyone gets to decide who they are, morality, right and wrong, or up to you. So don't judge. Or maybe it's one that we've used to avoid having others point things out in our lives. Don't judge me. But is that what it really means? Well, we're going to look at what it means, what it clearly doesn't mean. And what about the plank? What about the log? I think Jesus has a good sense of humor. But he's also using this laughable contrast to tell us something very important. It should be ridiculous to us how hypocritical we can be. So maybe we'll be surprised or not at how easily it's true of us that we miss the log in our eye. So let me pray too, and then we'll dig in. God, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we'll see uh, that you're the one who speaks to the speck, to the plank in our eye with absolute clarity. And so we pray 
uh, that you uh, would speak to us this morning, that our hearts uh, would not uh, be hard, but would be soft to hear your word, that you would transform us, that you would change us. Uh, you do that by your mercy and grace in Jesus, we pray. Amen. So simple outline. Uh, number one, judge not. What does that mean? Number two, it is not good to be a hypocrite. Number three, but it is good to admit when we are one. So judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what can't this mean? It can't mean that no one is ever judged. It's very clear in the Bible, for instance, that there's a final judgment that awaits all people, a judgment that will decide our eternity. Acts 17, 1 Timothy 4 tell us that Jesus himself will be that judge. So we can't just blanket remove all judging as we read this verse. Even verse 2 says, you will be judged. It also doesn't and can't mean that we never judge. Further down, if you've got your Bibles there in verse 15, it tells us to beware false prophets. To do that, we must discern. We must actually judge their words, their character. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, we are to judge those inside the church to enact appropriate restorative measures in cases of ongoing and willful sin. Matthew 18, Jesus tells his disciples, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Christians are to judge. In fact, Jesus calls people in John 7:24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So what does it mean? Well, I do think the Bible tells us not to be judgmental and perhaps particularly of non-Christians. By that I mean to be dismissive, to avoid them, to shun them, to condemn, or even to expect that their moral choices would align with the commands of God. In fact, this could be an early application of the passage today. To judge others in that way, uh, in a condemning way, would be hypocritical if we in fact have been saved from sin ourselves. Instead, we love people. We long for them to know the mercy and grace of Jesus. In that same passage where Paul writes about judging those in the church, he says, I write to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. He's talking about inside the church, ongoing willful sin. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of the world. He says, of course we associate with the people of this world who are living differently to us. In one sense, we know that we'd live that way without Christ and without the Holy Spirit changing us. So we don't stand in final judgment over anybody. It's God to whom everyone will give an account. We share that good news of Jesus with them in the hope that they will trust in him before that final judgment. So stepping through, what, where are we getting to with what this means? Jesus is the judge of all. That's pretty clear. We're not to be judgmental. That is to cast judgment in a way that condemns. Yet in some cases we are to judge to show our brothers and sisters their faults. So what does this verse mean where Jesus says, judge not? So we keep reading. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This comes across like a warning to us from Jesus. If we don't judge, then we won't be judged. What does that mean? And if we do judge, then we're going to be judged in the same way that we judge others. What does that mean? Well, in Luke's gospel, he's got a parallel passage to this, and it's actually really helpful for us to understand. This is what he says, But love your enemies, 
and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, your, your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Luke goes on to talk about the plank and the speck as well. So we can think about life, a lot of things in life, in two different ways. Our horizontal aspect, our relationship with God, and, sorry, vertical, horizontal aspect, our relationship with others. These two things interact really key way as we think about what it means to judge. We want to ask the question, how does God judge us? Well, this passage in Luke tells us a lot. The Bible here and elsewhere says that we've been all these things, enemies, ungrateful, evil, that is opposed to God. Yet God is merciful, kind, forgiving, giving. Did God judge us ruthlessly, condemning us without hope? No, he showed mercy. He gave grace. He saved us. He gave his only son for us. He forgives us. We think about what Jesus did on the cross is that he took the punishment and the judgment that we deserved. He soaked up the wrath of God. See, God doesn't like sin. He doesn't just ignore it. His wrath is his just response to sin. And we see that Jesus either takes that for us in our place, and we receive Jesus' perfect record, an amazing exchange, or we stand before God's judgment still with our own sin. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So when we trust in Jesus, we experience mercy and grace. We have our debt removed. And that vertical aspect means we see people differently in the horizontal aspect. That judgment of us changes our judgment of others. At least it should mean that. And that's where the warning of the verses comes in. You can think of a story uh, that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. Kids, you might want to try and draw some aspects of this story. So there's a man who serves a king, and he owes this king like $10 billion. And he goes to the king, and the king says, you need to pay me back. And he begs for mercy. And the king forgives him and says, go on your way. Your debt has been cleared. That man then goes out and finds another servant that owes him a smaller amount, like $1,200 bucks and 18 lollies, if you watch Bluey. Uh, and this man begs for mercy and says, please forgive my debt. And this man says, no. And he throws him in jail and says, stay there until you've paid me back. He had no mercy. This is how Jesus concludes that story. Then his master, the king, summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is hard to hear, hard to understand. We could say that man was judged with the measure with which he judged others. That's what Jesus says here. You'll be judged with the measure with which you judge. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
In one sense, then, we're actually called to judge in accordance with how God has judged us. We're to judge with mercy, with room for forgiveness, with a recognition of our own position before God as forgiven sinners. It actually kind of flips it all around. It's not that God forgives us because we forgive others or only when we've done that, but actually that those who've truly experienced forgiveness and mercy from God will demonstrate it in the way that they relate to others. So in a large-scale sense, we could say that the way that we judge or forgive others may reflect on whether we have really received the forgiveness of Jesus. As one writer puts it, those who have judged without mercy consistently and unrepentantly will face judgment without mercy. Their merciless judgments will become evidence that they never received, never treasured the mercy of God in Christ, so they will reap the same judgments they sowed. Yet those who have learned by grace through much repentance to take up a measure of mercy will be amazingly not judged. Not judged on judgment day, only the grace of a cross-bearing Christ could craft such a wondrous thought. I do think that's one way we can understand these verses. The Bible also tells us that as believers, our works will be judged on that final day. And I think there's a sense in which this verse plays into that too. It's a warning. God wants us to live in a way that honors him, that reflects the life of the Spirit in us, that demonstrates we're his children. Now, there's some mystery as to how that judgment of works on the last day uh, happens and there's rewards, but we should heed this warning. Here's a challenging question. Would we want to be judged by God in the same way that we judge others? Would we want that same measure applied to us? And then, of course, this affects us horizontally too. The context is the speck in, in the brother's eyes, the judging of others. And so there's a clear way, I think, that a judgmental or critical spirit is going to affect our relationships with us, others too. Being judgmental will come back to bite us. And so we take Jesus' warnings seriously. So to sum up, what does judge not mean? We're to judge others in accordance with how we want to be judged. But probably more so, we're to judge others in accordance with how we've already been judged by God. That will mean to show mercy in accordance with how we've already been shown mercy. To not condemn, but to forgive. To be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. The other type of judging, the don't judge type of judging, is to judge with hypocrisy. To judge in self-righteousness, blinded to our own sin, or forgetful of the mercy that's been shown to us. That's the striking point of the plank and the speck. So we're going to go on to verses 3 to 5. And Jesus used this word hypocrite. So quick Google tells me that hypocrite is a word that came from the Greek, which actually means stage actor or pretender. Uh, literally translated as an interpreter from underneath and talks about how the Greek actors used to wear these masks and they would speak from underneath the mask. So you can think of that as a person, I think we all know what a hypocrite is, someone who speaks a certain way uh, but acts and believes the opposite. I love this at vocabulary.com. Hypocrites usually talk a big talk but fail to follow their own rules, like an outspoken vegetarian who secretly eats bacon. I was like, that's the, that's the example we went for. I literally drove past a car wash this week. Some of you might have seen it. Huge sign, car wash. Underneath, it says, no muddy vehicles. I was like, 
no muddy vehicles. What do, what do you think this is? A car wash? Like, you can't take your muddy vehicles. I'm sure it's something to do with clogging the drains and all those kinds of things, but who cleans their car before they take it to a car wash? Anyway, we laugh at some examples of hypocrisy because they're so ridiculous. But it's not all that funny when we actually realize that we are the one carrying the plank in our eye. So let's read what Jesus says again. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. At the heart of this is a humility that recognizes our own sin and weakness, even when we're confronted by others' sin and faults. It's to be quicker to see our own faults rather than the faults of others. As the illustration emphasizes, it's to recognize the larger issue in our own hearts before we speak uh, over the issue in another's heart. This is the type of judging we're not to do. Maybe I'll pick up my plank. We'll go through some examples of what this might look like. Uh, I don't have any examples of myself. I had to think of other people's examples. Uh, That would be one way to do that. Here's a good one. Man, I hope so-and-so is here today to hear this sermon. They're definitely a plank in the eye kind of person. More broadly, where do we tend to be critical and find fault while excusing our own behavior as reasonable? Your words were harsh and cruel. I was obviously just getting emotional and caught up in the moment. It was only natural that I would say something like that. Maybe any time we ever say, you never dot 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 something bad, and I always dot 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 something good. These are all examples from my own life, by the way. Do we gossip about the way that others are gossiping? What about money or time? How easy is it to look at how someone else is spending their money and say, I can't believe they spend that much on that. Or their time. I can't believe they do that. And yet we're defensive about our own expenditure or overly sensitive to what others might say. We probably all have something that someone else would say, I can't believe they spend that much money or time on that. We might do the same about entertainment or leisure, what people wear. Could be anything. Are we quick to condemn others without first examining ourselves? Do we judge someone's spirituality on a criteria, how well they do scripture memory or how they pray or what Bible version they use, their parenting style, their clothing style? Now, I know we're not all parents here today, but I would say the parents get uh, a special opportunity to see our own hypocrisy. It's been said that if you want evidence of the existence of the sinful nature, have kids. And I used to think they were talking about the kids. What about this one? Hey, stop that. Stop just having an illogical, irrational, emotion-based response to the situation, child. Or, look, child, the answer is no. We're not doing that right now. You can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want. Why not? Because right now, daddy's doing whatever he wants, and he wants to do it right now. It's ridiculous, isn't it, sometimes, how we can be hypocritical. I think it happens when we get older, we project our level of experience and maturity and wisdom onto younger people and expect them to act in ways we would never have acted at that age. Sometimes it's more subtle and more deep. Sometimes we assume what people think 
or presume we know how they're going to react to something. We can even expect them to sin, a preemptive type of judgment. Maybe conflict has become all the other person's fault. Do we harbor a critical spirit? Is it easy to find fault in others? Do we only look or see opportunities to critique or criticize? We can say, I would never do that. And I realized this week as I was thinking about that, that there's sometimes a case where the speck and the log are different things. It might be that you would never do that. But actually the plank in our own eye is actually our pride or our self-righteousness that stands in condemnation. But I think it gets deeper and harder when we say something like, I could never forgive that. And I'm not trying to make light of some really difficult situations, but what does it look like to work through and ask ourselves when we hold a grudge or shun or dismiss a person, are we responding in light of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that God has shown us? Are we acting in accordance with the way that we have been judged? I'm going to put this plank down. Hypocrisy is a big deal to God. And I think it's an accusation that the world throws at Christians all the time. And there's plenty of places where Jesus is really unhappy with the religious leaders for this very thing. He calls them whitewashed tombs, appearing beautiful on the outside and full of dead bones and uncleanness on the inside. They were condemning and judging people as though they were free from sin themselves. A really key passage for us that I want to look at in Romans chapter 2. It talks a lot about the things that we've been saying. Let's read it together. It says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You'll be judged with the measure with which you've been judged. Verse 21 says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? We're not to judge like hypocrites, to cast judgment on someone for something that we ourselves do. It demonstrates that we don't get the seriousness or even the presence of our own sin. And further, it doesn't acknowledge the mercy and forgiveness that God has shown us. What's amazing about this passage where Paul's talking about hypocrisy is that he speaks of God's kindness that would lead us to repentance. Hypocrisy shows a hardness of heart. What God calls us to is repentance, to turn and come to him. So that, I don't think I said that, but that was number two. It's not good to be a hypocrite. And number three is going to be, but it is good to admit when we are one, because it's going to be another opportunity to find mercy. Before we hit number three, let me take two small notes on the side. Two important notes. Note number one, the passage doesn't say, don't ever tell someone about the speck. It says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When we humbly acknowledge our own sin, when we bring that before God in repentance, 
when we experience his grace and mercy, it actually puts us in a position to see more clearly, to come more gently, to enter that conversation, even willing to see more of what's in our own eye. Galatians 6, 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What Jesus calls us to is an evaluation of our internal heart, our sin, our motivations, to run that through the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's character, of his word, to repent before we would go and confront another. The second note is the passage should not be used as a defense mechanism when somebody comes to point out the speck in your eye. Who are you to tell me about my speck, Planky McPlankface? You want to start on that and we'll be building cubby houses with the logs I'm looking at. No, when someone comes to point out a speck in your eye, if you're trying to remove a speck from someone's eye, what would you tell them to do? You'd say, hold still. Someone's coming to talk to you about something. We want to receive those words. We want to consider those words in the light of God's word. We want to pray and be humble in seeking what God might say about that speck, which may turn out to be a plank. All right, let's go to number three. It is not good to be a hypocrite, but it is good to admit when we are one. Why? Well, it's because we have a savior, because we have a God who's put himself in the position of the judge and the judged because Jesus has taken that judgment on himself. You see, no one can see so clearly or speak so clearly about our state than Jesus. When he looks at us, he has no plank to contend with. He sees clearly. And so when he speaks truth to us, when he shows us our speck, our sin, our faults, there's no hypocrisy. There's no plank. There's no speck. He speaks the truth. And that can be exposing Hebrews 4 says the word of God is like is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit, of joints of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the judge of all, looking clearly at who we are, our planks, our specks. Yet here is a God who sees perfectly the clarity, with clarity the sin in our lives. He sees the piles and piles of wood, and yet he offers mercy. Though God is sinless and despises sin, he doesn't simply condemn us for it, but provides for us to be saved from it. He desires repentance. He acts with mercy. He gives. He forgives. He removes the plank and dies for it. 1 John 3, 5 says all of this so simply. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So for the first time today, or the 101st time, we want to come humbly to Jesus and ask him to forgive us, to change us, to give us eyes to see the planks that are right in front of us, and to ask for his merciful removal of it. And as we experience that mercy, that forgiveness, then we turn to those around us and we want to reflect that mercy in humility, in love to them. Even when we see that sin or that fault in others, when we see this speck, we humbly examine ourselves, take stock of the mercy that we've received. 
we might still p- humbly point out that speck, but we're doing it then in a way that seeks to restore them in love and gentleness. We don't do it with superiority or hypocritically. When we see those who don't yet know Christ, we see ourselves. We see people who need God to convict them of their sin and their need for Him. We long for them to experience the grace and forgiveness of our Saviour and to belong to Him, to be transformed by Him. So it is not good to be a hypocrite, but it is good to admit when we are one, when Jesus is our merciful Saviour. Let me pray. God, would you speak to each of us, both in revealing uh, where we might be blind to sin or a critical spirit or to judgmental uh, thoughts or actions. Help us to see those and give us hearts of repentance through your kindness. Reveal also, God, to us your great mercy. Help us to see again uh, that Jesus has done all that is necessary uh, to remove that judgment and condemnation from us, uh, to free us, to give us forgiveness and life in him. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place. Thank you that you've risen again and offer new life and hope uh, to all who trust in you. We pray that you would lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.